Welcome back to the Frank Sontag Show, hour number two. And each hour we begin with our impact segment, which is 20 plus minutes of uninterrupted dialogue and discussion. And this hour just so happens that we have an in-studio guest for the entire hour. He is a returning guest. He is the president and founder of Capital Ministries. He also is responsible for a four-volume set that is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, also at capmin.org, which is the ministry. It's called Oaks in Office, Biblical Essays for Political Leaders. Ralph Drawlinger, welcome back to the Frank Sontag Show. Nice to see you, Frank Sontag Show. How are you? I'm well, Ralph. How are you? (laughs) Good, good, good. So for those that may not know who you are, I want to jump into this as we just get out of the gate. What is Capital Ministries and in relation to the work that you do in D.C., talk about, well, you make reference to political leaders. Are you saying, share the gospel with political leaders? What, what? Who? Why? All the time. So we started Capital Ministries 21 years ago. It's kind of in the genre of, like you think of FCA on high school campuses reaching athletes, or you think of crew on college campus reaching students. There's no real duck of that sort on the political campuses of America, you know, and yet we have 40,000 incorporated cities in America. We have obviously 50 state capitals and one federal capital in D.C. So we're trying to make outposts by God's grace of intentional, deliberate, biblically reliant disciple makers, i.e. Bible expositors, evangelists on all of those campuses throughout the country, be it local state or federal government. So I have the opportunity to lead capital ministries in D.C. now. I was 12 years in the California state capital, but the last eight years we've been in D.C., and I teach the White House cabinet member Bible study as well as Senate member and House member Bible studies, and soon hopefully to launch other Bible studies, one in the Pentagon. So uh, that's what we do, and we're all about expositing the Word of God to make disciples. And Oaks in Office, which you mentioned, my new four-volume tome that's just come out, it's 52 of my, I write a Bible study almost every week, 52 a year, which go out electronically as well as in print. Matter of fact, I usually hand out 150 offices every week in D.C. personally with my wife. Uh, Oaks in Office is a compilation of 52 of my favorite that I think are most pertinent for developing Christian worldview in the life of a political leader. And so those have been combed out by some really good editors and theologians into a four-volume tome called Oaks in Office, which uh, has been in the process now of just editing with three editors for the last uh, two years and a great graphic designer who's on our staff. They are beautiful. You Thank you. shared them with me. I've got all four. I've been looking through them. and I was hoping you'd buy that rather than just take a... Well, you gave it to me. I I may give it and and buy another set for myself and also an area I want to talk about later. Maybe forward it to some of my political representatives. We're going to have a campaign to do just that, to buy it as a gift for a political leader of your choice. So a couple questions I just want to get out of the way. You made mention you among the Bible studies that you do on Capitol Hill. One is for White House cabinet members. When was the last time anything like that happened in our country? Well, we say at least 100 years ago, but I'm really not sure of that. That's what the media has quoted me as saying. But I'm not sure where our researchers got that. But 
we uh, we think it's really important that the leaders of our nation uh, meet together regularly and study God's word. There's something transcendent about the word of God. Um, it's living and active. It's self-proclamation is that it's living and active. And so when you leave a Bible study in an office or you have an opportunity in addition to that to teach a, a legislator, a cabinet member an hour a week and just really exposit the word of God to them, and you see that they hunger and thirst for it, that brings some kind of transcendent blessing that's somewhat immeasurable to a whole of a nation. And I think we're seeing that in America. I'm not trying to say that's all because of me, but we have a real need for good Bible teachers around our political leaders. And to your point, just hasn't been happening in D.C. We've got a lot of what I call cotton candy ministry, you know, where it's a lot of fluff. But the real blocking and tackling of making disciples requires a rigorous weekly discipline of exposing the Word of God and applying it in a custom sense to the life of your audience. And as you do that, and you've shared eight years in D.C., there is going to be a certain segment that push back on that. Yeah. Yeah, just Google my name. (laughs) (laughs) And well, there's a lot of people that don't like the fact that uh, we're gaining ground away from Satan in a spiritual sense in D.C., and they really push hard on that. But that's to be expected. I mean, shoot, that's what the Beatitudes promise: is that blessed are you uh, when men persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, you know, that's just. Part of part of really doing effective ministry is blowback. And a very close friend and one of the wisest men in my life once shared an analogy with me. When the shark is coming at you, you punch it in the nose as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something about turning the other cheek, too, in terms of self-control. But um, And we've just been studying James 3. I, I hand out my Bible study every week, my written one, usually 8 to 12 pages as homework. But then when we're together, I just taught the cabinet study yesterday. Um, we're going through James. We're in James chapter 3 and has a lot to say about the tongue. So there's something about you know being courageous. Or I like Proverbs 3, 3, bind both kindness and truth around your neck. Write them both on the tablet of your heart. So there's something about being 100% true to your point, you know, punch back with truth, but make sure you uh, couch it in love. Mm-hmm. Ralph Drawlinger is my guest for the hour, president and founder of Capital Ministries. Capmin.org is their website. How is it that you became, and, and you're a pastor, you, you went to seminary, how is it that you took that route as a follower of Christ? Well, it was uh, kind of obvious to me when I was at UCLA playing for John Wooden, I sensed a call into ministry, so I began to prepare for it at that point. Rather than go in the NBA, I turned down contracts to play for Athletes in Action and preach the gospel. And I think we went to 35 countries in those four years and at halftime preached the gospel. And so from there, came out, was in sports ministry, and then my wife said, hey, I'm a political activist, and we've got this big pack. We're trying to change the world through political tactics in the name of Christ. doesn't seem to be working. Why don't we do what you do with sports ministry and put intentional, deliberate, biblically-reliant disciple-makers on sports teams, on high school, college, and professional teams? That seems to have had a real impact in the sports world. Why can't we do the same biblical methodology in the political arena? 
And so uh, that's kind of how we dropped into full-time ministry of political leaders because there was just a real wide-open niche there that no one was filling. Is – well, I just – I want to throw you a big softball here. At least it will sound like it, but I suspect there is a level of depth that needs to be expressed. So we have the Holy Bible, and the question that comes to mind is – how are we doing as, let's leave our political reps away from the question for a moment, as a country, as a society and a culture, those of us that profess faith in Christ, how are we doing these days with our biblical literacy? <laughs> Not too good. I just think there's so many softball churches out there, to use your phrase, but just, you know, cotton candy, Christianity galore, it's a mile wide and an inch deep, it's all about you know, making people feel good rather than the holiness of God and how am I conforming to his righteousness. And so I think that the church really has to get its butt in gear. We inherit in D.C. state capitals, local government, in essence, what the church produces or does not. I think the state's a reflection of the effectiveness of the institution of the church in the long run. And so we get a lot of really weak believers in public service, if they are believers. And so there's a real need to have a specialist on their campus to catch up to their life geographically, to be where they are in order to mentor them. And I think of even our president, you know, there wasn't a New York businessman's for Christ ministry. And there's no one running up and down the skyscrapers discipling, you know, building builders. And uh, you have that in sports ministry. You have thousands of disciple makers on the campuses of athletes, but not political leaders. So that's what capital ministry is trying to do. Matter of fact, we're just looking right now at uh, taking my weekly Bible studies. There's I can buy lists of 14,000, all the political leaders in America, and start signing them up to receive the same Bible study that I feed to the White House cabinet, and they can follow along. And we actually have an audio version, and there's a guy that I know that does the audio version. He does a really good job most every week, and I think I'm looking at him. Yeah, well, I've, I've heard of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask this question that follows what you shared uh, along the lines of biblical literacy. And this is a big one that we hear and is promoted not only we hear sometimes in – media outlets, but in the church as well. And I would just like you to clarify or teach for a moment on the whole understanding, misunderstanding of the separation of church and state. Oh. And there's influential and there's institutional. Yeah, yeah. And give us a couple of moments for the listeners that may not fully grasp what that means, because there is an organization, you know, I know, I talk about them on the air almost every week. They're out of Wisconsin. They're bullies. They're atheists. They hate God, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Yeah. And they constantly beat that drum, Freedom From Religion. Yeah, yeah. And we've got court-appointed justices that side sometimes like, okay, this is yeah. – it's important to separate well, – Yeah, I would say to a preamble of that, I've just finished – I think this week we finished publication of a five-week series called Five Wrong Views of Church and State. 
And uh, there's a lot of ways you can go wrong on that. And just a little background, in the Reformation, there wasn't a whole lot of bandwidth for anything else than uh, a strict discussion of soteriological correctness. And so you have Luther warring against a faith plus works doctrine of salvation. That takes up most of the argumentation, even in the Council of Trent, which was the Catholic response to the Reformation. You, you still don't have necessarily in terms of church and state that kind of theological dialogue that occurred over many years as you do with a clear soteriology stemming from the Reformation. So when you have the American experiment in government, which is born out of pragmatic reaction to a theocratic England, you don't have like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli gave us a theological basis, soteriological speaking, you don't have a theological basis for church and state theology. And so you have a lot of confusion today just stemming from America. America gets it right, but it's a pragmatic reaction. It's not steeped in theological conviction. And so today we have even evangelicals who are really clumsy on this issue. For instance, there's a lot of uh, religious right people out there that will say, well, there's no mention of separation of church and state in the American Constitution. I say, well, it doesn't really matter if it's there or not. Our real authority is the Scripture. So what does Scripture say? Because Scripture trumps constitutional authority. Fortunately, the Constitution is pretty scriptural, but suffice to say in this area, it's um, not as clear as it would be in Scripture. But when you look at Matthew 22, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, it's clear in the New Testament, the New Covenant, that there is to be, to your words, an institutional separation. Unlike theocratic Israel in the Old Testament, in the church age, you have an institutional, key word, institutional separation of church and state, but that does not mean a influential separation of church and state. Now, the secularist wants both. I will concede the first because he's right in that way, whereas evangelicals oftentimes muddy the water and say, well, there's no not supposed to be an institutional separation. Well, then you play in the hand of the, of the secularist out of Wisconsin who thinks we're pounding the drum for theocracy. Well, we're not. Matter of fact, they accuse me in the White House Bible study of saying that we're planning a theocratic overthrow of America. Well, that would be treasonous if it were true. I could be arrested if that were true. But what we have is a necessary um, dialogue on this, and these are my separative words, of institutional versus influential. And so I write about that a lot in my Bible studies. We've got to get that right. We, we are not for a separation of influence. The church should influence the state, but they are separate institutions with their own biblically explicit purpose. The state's to moralize. That is, it does not bear the sword for nothing. It's a rewarder of those who do good and a punisher of those who do evil. But at the same time, it's to be um, doing the job like, unlike the church of moralizing a fallen world, whereas the church is to evangelize a fallen world. And they have different marching orders and different purposes, but the state should certainly be a reflection of a healthy church. And when the state, or when the church goes well, the state goes well. Could we say just simply, and it's an oversimplification, that one of the intentions is to not have the state impose one specific faith on the populace. Yeah, I think that's what what the Constitution means or the Founding Fathers mean when they talk about that. 
um, Congress shall make no no laws barring a certain religious point of view. And we, we love and we flourish in freedom of religion. We should stand on that because whenever we have a fair playing field, a level playing field, the church always wins out because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit and the purveyors of the gospel, whereas false religions don't have that. And so there is new life in Christ. And so we love to uh, evangelize the lost. And it's nice when you have a fair playing field when the government will allow that religious expression. Ralph Drawlinger is here from Capital Ministries. Ralph, you made mention that not only do you do Bible studies to senators and reps, you do a Bible study for White House cabinet members. How's that going? It's going great. I think that's a real reflection of God's hand on this last election. We have 11 of the cabinet members in Bible study. They're actually sponsors on, if you want to get my, uh, by electronic delivery, my weekly Bible studies or get our app and get it downloaded automatically. You'll see, I think, 11 cabinet member sponsors. And we had a full house yesterday morning and we have a robust discussion after I usually teach and set up the context of the passage for a good half hour. We'll have wonderful interaction. And and I, I have a lot of godly cabinet, Senate, and House members in my three respective different Bible studies. So it's going great. And you travel back and forth to D.C. and here? Yeah, well, we've also started ministries in a lot of U.S. state capitals, and we have ministries, I think, 24 federal capitals around the world at this point. So we are just given to travel, and people wonder how we do it, but I always compare myself to the Apostle Paul, whose traveling was a lot more difficult than mine. I just think we're such pansies in America that we go, oh, he has to travel on a jet plane every week. Well, big deal compared to what the apostles did to give us the faith that we enjoy today. And maybe not yet, but it's not like we've got persecution in our country compared to what no. Paul faced. We have it. So now's the time to really take the ball up the field. But there's so much materialistic idolatry in America that people, they they miss the opportunity we're having. And it's hard to engage them because their life's so narcissistic. It makes me sick. What's going on? In, in humanity in our country right now. Let me set it up this way and anything you have along the lines of a response. So you do White House, Cabinet, Bible Studies, Senate, House of Reps. You are known in the media now. I don't know if it was Newsweek or whatever. You've got people that are just outraged this is happening. Yeah. And a lot of hysteria and a lot of false um, information being spread. And yet you just said, and I think it's a word well-founded. I think we got a lot of pansies, and not only oh. in our country, but the church, we're soft. Yeah. So what's going on? Is this anything new? Is this different? We have a guy in the White House that's a little different from the past. What's happening? And what about the spiritual overtones of this? Well, you threw a lot at me there, Frank. I'm not sure which way I should take off on that, but... I really think we have a super soft church and a super soft America. We, you know, we have we have spiritual obesity galore, and it's hard. I mean, our limitations to growth in terms of starting ministries in forty thousand local governments and fifty state capitals is always finding the right person. 
and people are usually preoccupied with something else, and that something else usually relates to them making a living. And it's just really hard to find guys that are willing to trust God for their income and really make a difference for the world and walk in obedience to the Great Commission. I mean, the only reason Christ left me here and you, Frank, after he saved us was for the purposes of fulfilling the Great Commission. Everything else is better accomplished in heaven. Our sanctification's perfect. Our worship is perfect. Our bodies aren't breaking down. I got two titanium knees now after basketball. Um, it's just America that's preoccupied with self when we have so much religious freedom, we could just be making hay worldwide. So I, I have a, all of my regional directors from throughout the world are coming to Chicago in two weeks, and we'll have two days together just planning where we're going next in terms of foreign federal capital ministry plants with national trained leaders. And we've got the likes of the Haggai uh, International Institute and um, the Global Leadership Summit, we're able to fish in their ponds, which are worldwide evangelical networks that are all about leadership development and try to find from fishing in their ponds the right capital ministries leader for their foreign federal capital. And that's where my heart is, and that's where my energies go. I'm very singularly focused on that because there's only one life to live, and it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I'm all about... How can I maximize my life to have the maximum impact on the maximum amount of people for all of eternity? Ralph Drawlinger is my guest, president and founder of Capital Ministries. Capmin.org is the website. When we get back, we're going to talk about Oaks and Office, a new four-volume set, as well as, as Ralph just alluded to, we've talked a bit about what's happening in our country. Let's talk about an international perspective as it applies to the gospel when we get back. You bet. Okay. We will continue with more. Ralph Drawlinger is here for the hour from Capital Ministries, and this is the Frank Sontag Show. This is the Frank Sontag Show. My guest for the hour is the founder and president of Capital Ministries, a Bible study not only on Capitol Hill among the House and the Senate and White House cabinet members, but it's an international Bible study as well. We're going to talk about the international perspective and the hunger for Christ in a moment. But I want to stay here in the U.S. Ralph and I on the break had a very interesting conversation. Ralph Drawlinger is my guest for the hour. Okay, Ralph, so here we go. We have a guy in office right now. His name is Donald Trump. He's a little different from past presidents. And yet the way in which, well, let me do it this way. I'll take a call from somebody that has great issue with him. And they'll say something like, especially as a Christian, uh, I'm, I'm appalled by, and then you hear words like misogynist, xenophobic, all that stuff that the media feeds us. So I ask him, and this is kind of where I want to go with you, I ask him, have you ever met him? Have you ever, well, first of all, how, how do you know him? And I say, just by what the media shares, right? Yeah. And the medium of the media is a powerful message. Yeah. So... Who is this man, and what's going on? And anything you want to add about the way we think we know him, we're, we're limited to what the media gives us. Well, I would say, first of all, just a, when Solomon's training his son Rehoboam to be the next leader of Israel in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, Solomon's writing primarily to Rehoboam in the 915 Proverbs and the 31 chapters therein. Majority of it's Solomon to Rehoboam. 
he says something very pragmatic to his son, which I think is worth capturing relative to Trump. And he says, where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much increase comes through the strength of the ox. And I think that's just a pragmatic reality in a fallen world with a type A leader. You're going to get some CRAP in the barn, so to speak, but you're going to get a lot of productivity. And Solomon, in his wisdom, realizes that going in. Not that that's all right and that's all justifiable. It's not like the end justifies the means. But it is to say from an objective observation that when you get a guy that's highly productive, you're usually going to get some some character flaws. And we all have those character flaws. Matter of fact, if we don't, I was just interviewed by a BBC guy and uh, he was really trying to attack me about President Trump on these kinds of issues. And I had to say at one point, because I knew of the foibles of this particular interviewer and how I only granted him the interview because he's repentant of the way he'd butchered so many other interviews in the past. So it was a setup and at least yeah, it was you a saw setup. it coming in. And, and I had to say at one point after he was going after our president, well, at one point I said, well, it's obvious he's just watching too much late night parliament TV from England. <laughs> <laughs> so who are you to throw all this stuff at us? Right. But then I came back at another point after he continued his attack and I said, well, have you ever read Matthew 5? And I said, even if your life, which has been in a fishbowl for decades, is pure and perfect on the outside, what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 5 and 6 is basically, I'm going to take this to a different level of not outward performance, but what's in your heart, like you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he says that six times to show the Pharisees in their outward sacrosanct, self-righteous behavior that they're not all that holy in God's eyes. And my point to the BBC guy and to you would be that our president, who's lived his life in a fishbowl environment, without trying to justify any sin that he or I have ever committed, but who are we to judge, especially someone who God's appointed to the institution of the, of the state? Because the institution of the state, you don't have the First Timothy 3, Titus 1, criteria or litmus test of character attributes that must be present in order to be a leader of the institution of the church. The institution of the state has nothing like that. And so who are we then to cast our own self-righteous standards on President Trump when if you looked even at our own inner hearts, we've sinned just as much as anyone else? And so that kind of shut him up. But to my point, there's something about Matthew 6 that I've titled The Borax Bubble Bath for the Sacrosanct Self-Righteous Eczema Patient. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you just thought of that one off the cuff, huh? Wow. Well, I've been thinking about that le- recently because there's a lot of believers out there that have this holier-than-thou attitude toward our president. But if you look through the lens of Matthew 6, who am I to cast the first stone? And at the same time, God's appointed him to the institution of the state, which doesn't have the same character qualifications for leadership that the institution of the church has, and yet we're holding our president to those standards. Now, it would be nice if he did have both, but if he doesn't, it's not disqualifying like it would be in the church. Ralph, we hear over and over again in the media 
not to disagree with you because I agree and I have issue with the media, but we hear over and over again, well, he's promoting racism and he's promoting violence and, oh, my gosh, another tweet. And we get these little tidbits where – yeah, sound bites. Yeah, let's just say like, like one of my one of my cabinet members yesterday was saying he came 15 minutes early and without mentioning names he's telling me how the media really just butchered him in a a matter that he faced the day before and they just pulled it out of context. Well, you only get what the media says about that event. But I I guess what I think of is Malcolm Muggeridge's quote where he says the medium is the message. And to illustrate what I mean by that, when you think of the NFL players' strike years ago, the, the broadcasters didn't go on strike, and so the players' strike failed because the the media guys could create pretty much the same game with B players on the field. Mm-hmm. And so the medium is just as important, perhaps, as the message. Or I think of uh, Rush Limbaugh, I think this is a connected thought, where he says, people always thought, you had to be in media and you had to be Dan Rather, hard news. Or you could be a late-night talk show comedian, but you couldn't amalgamate both worlds. Well, Rush Limbaugh says, my success is because I was the first guy in radio to amalgamate both those worlds. I was a David Letterman, and I was also a Dan Rather. And I put those together because the medium to hold the attention and to get the ratings – has to be taken into consideration. And I think Trump's way down the field relative to what we're talking about because he's an entertainer, and yet he gets his truth through as he entertains, and he just mesmerizes you. I watched him today before I came down to the studio at the U.S. Steel plant in Illinois, and he he is just becoming an outstanding order. And yet he doesn't have to use all the... I think lesser biblically virtue devices now to keep our attention that he did when he started. I see him really growing in Christ. Ralph Drawlinger is my guest. He's from Capital Ministries. We've got a couple of minutes. Maybe a quick follow-up. So there are some that are screaming impeachment, and you watch, again, the way the media just in, in press conferences, and I don't know if you've ever met Sarah Sanders, but I'll tell you, you talk about a strong woman. Yeah. I, I would just tell her the moment I see her, thank you, and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. So how do we navigate through this? As Well, I think it's, it, Proverbs 3 3 is a really good sound bite. Bind kindness and truth around your neck, write them both on the tablet of your heart. I think there's a real balance there. Few are the political leaders or even Christians in media like. Sarah Sanders, who can manifest 100% of both of those, to be 100% loving and 100% truthful. Usually we err in our personality on one side or the other. And if you're 100% truthful, then you're 1 Corinthians 13, 1, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. On the other side, if you're all about kindness and love without truth, then you're just a jellyfish. You're just a gelatinous nobody that pats everyone on the back, and you have no influence. But few are those who are 100% both at the same time. And I think Sarah Sanders is that. And she got great training because she was fed that diet from you know the first day she could speak. Mm-hmm. Ralph Drawlinger is here from Capital Ministries. Oaks in Office, Biblical Essays for Political Leaders. 
We're going to talk about this new four-volume set, as well as the world, as it applies to our Savior and Lord, and maybe anything else Ralph has to share in relation to his ministry. Capmin.org is a powerful website. Capital Ministries is his ministry, and we'll continue with more here on the Frank Sontag Show next. Always thankful when you join us here on the Frank Sontag Show. My guest for the hour is Ralph Trollinger from Capital Ministries. Among the many things Capital Ministries do, Ralph does Bible studies in D.C. now the last eight years with separate studies to senators, a study to the U.S. reps, the House, and also to White House cabinet members. I hold in my hands Oaks and Office, Biblical Essays for Political Leaders, volume number one. Talk about this. Well, first and foremost, there is a beautiful oak tree. Talk about the significance of the oak tree and why Oaks and Office. Well, the oak tree is a great simile relative to, I think, what we want to see God develop in terms of our political leaders. And so that's how we chose the art. And so throughout the six sections of the book, which build on one another, there's 52 studies organized into six sections in the four volumes. We use at the front of each of those sections one aspect of the the magnificence of God's creation of the oak tree. And the parallels are just so beautiful. And uh, you'll find the artwork in the book, too, um, elaborates on that. But for one, the oak tree puts down its taproot when it starts as young. And I have several oak trees on my property in Santa Clarita. And uh, when they drop an acorn, if you don't get those suckers out the first year, it's pretty hard to pull a baby oak tree out just because that taproot's down two feet in two years looking for sustenance. But it'll develop over the course of its hundreds of years of life. Its root system will be seven times larger than its canopy, which bespeaks of the internal fortitude that any political leader really needs to be able to ward off all the drought, the storms, the fires, everything that's going to come his or her way while serving in office. And so that's a beautiful picture in and of itself. Another one that I think environmentalists don't necessarily like is that one large oak tree can produce enough oxygen for four human beings per day. And it just takes CO2 and converts it to oxygen. So it's a great ecosystem, not only for you and I, but for all the squirrels and different animals that live in its shelter. And I have beehives in mine. I have squirrels. I have all kinds of birds. And it's just beautiful to watch the, the, the microcosm of the ecosystem that the oak tree is able to afford. And then actually, when you look at the V of an older oak tree where one branch goes off from the other, those connections of the V are actually used historically by our Navy to create the front of a wood hull ship. Because it's not like you can take two pieces of plywood and bolt the bottom together and have nearly the strength that that has because of the many years it takes the oak tree to develop that internal structure. I'm told that an oak tree only grows 10% of the year quantitatively. The rest of the time, it's growing qualitatively. And so all of these are great pictures of what we really desire of our political leaders. And yet, how do you get there? How do you manufacture 
a high-integrity political leader that has great industriousness, great love, great wisdom, great sustainability. And it's through the Word of God. And if you don't have a spiritual coach to help you grow in that area, your your little acorn could be snuffed out before it ever develops in size and strength. So that's what Capital Ministries is all about, is trying to develop oaks in office. I told James Langford, who's from center from Oklahoma, after I was introducing the books to the Senate Bible, I said, the thought occurs to me that we actually have an Oakey in office. <laughs> he How'd that thought, go? He actually thought that was pretty funny. Oh, he, usually funny. he doesn't laugh at my jokes because <laughs> when, you, when you do what I do every day, you become quite the punster. <laughs> Ralph Drawlinger is my guest. At the end, in five minutes, I want to tie in Oaks in office again, but I want to ask you uh, about your international ministry. I know the, the heart and the gospel and the truth in Christ that you— with the energy God puts in you, you go around the world trying to do this. And I know that discipleship ministries are important to you. I know that you're seeking Bible teachers to be in specific places all over the world. Um, Talk about the international vision, if you will, for your ministry and and how it's just growing leaps and bounds. Well, by God's grace, we've... uh... I think we have seven regional directors now throughout the world. We divide the world as good missiologists. Some missiologists divide the world into 12 different sections. We divide it into 10. So I'm looking prayerfully for 10 regional directors in our full maturation of our regional director strategy. And then I charge each of those guys to start ministries in, say, two federal capitals a year because our goal is 200 federal capitals in the next 20 years. And so we'll have all those guys together in Chicago in two weeks. And uh, one guy, just to give you an illustration, his name's uh, Oscar Zamora, and he's our ministry leader in Lima, Peru, and he's also our regional director for all of Latin America. And this guy is just gold. And so I was just with him, Danielle and I. We were in um, Ecuador where we launched a ministry with a national in Ecuador in their uh, federal capital, and actually the U.S. ambassador, who's a strong Christian, helped us do that, and the uh, chief of staff for what would be the similarity in our governance of the speaker, who's a strong Christian, invited our ministry leader in to start a ministry with all the federal elected leaders in their parliamentary form of government. We're about to launch in Honduras, where our ministry leader actually knows the president and his wife, and the wife's a strong believer. We'll be launching there. And I think the next month I'm supposed to get down there. I don't know how with my schedule. And then we've got another ministry launching in Brazil, uh, 60 Minutes, the similar program of 60 Minutes in America that airs in Portuguese-speaking Brazil. Just did a, a big uh, expose on our ministry that was very positive. It's helping our launch there with a couple of Brazilian ministry leaders in Brasilia. And uh, we just launched in Uruguay. We should launch in Mexico City this fall in the federal capital. So all these places, they really need a, a gospeler, someone who can give them the good news of Jesus Christ right into the political leaders of the nation. And I see this as what the Apostle Paul did. You know, when he's commissioned in Acts 9.15 on the road to Damascus, when he converts, Jesus blinds him, you know, for three days, sends his surrogate messenger Ananias to Saul, and the 
the surrogate messenger, uh, or Jesus says to his surrogate messenger, Ananias, go, Ananias, for he Saul's a chosen instrument of mine to declare my glory before the house of Israel and kings and the Gentile nations. So inherent and incumbent in the Apostle Paul's conversion was to reach political leaders. And when you look there and after in the book of Acts, Luke records how Paul in the three missionary journeys goes to 14 provincial capitals of the Roman Empire to set up churches. Uh, you see that nine of the 14 individual conversion accounts that Luke records in the book of Acts are of politically related people. And it's all, in one sense, manifesting Acts 9.15, Paul's obedience to his calling to reach political leaders. But in another sense, the whole of the book of Luke and the the book of Acts, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written to most excellent Theophilus, who's by Greek name a political leader. So everything that Luke writes in his Gospel and everything that Luke writes in Acts is really intended on influencing one Roman political leader to come to Christ. And that's one-third of the word count of the New Testament. So we take our theological clue from cap, for capital ministries from those precepts of Scripture to really be about evangelizing political leaders if we're going to efficiently fulfill the Great Commission. And so that's why we're going worldwide, and God's blessing it. Ralph Drawlinger is president and founder of Capital Ministries. Let me share some information in closing. If you're listening to this broadcast and you would like to get Ralph's weekly Bible study, you can go to capmen.org. Go to the website. You'll get it electronically mailed to you each and every week. It is an incredible Bible study, and I don't know about anyone listening that could not benefit more greatly from another Bible study. So capmen.org if you'd like to get the Bible study. There is and a, Frank, you actually audioize that if there's such a word. I do. So you can sit and listen to it on your iPod. Yep. Or you can get our app. You can listen to it in the car. Yep. If you don't want to read it, you can listen to me. If you don't listen every day, you'll listen to the Bible study as per, again, Ralph. Also, I want to, we're out of time, but I want to make mention of Oaks in Office, Biblical Essays for Political Leaders. Uh, It's been more than a year in making, a couple years. It's a four-volume set. It's available at capmen.org as well as Amazon, Barnes & Noble. But go to capmen.org, pick one up for yourself, and send one to your elected official. I mean, my goodness, we have so many conversations on the air about state, federal senators, reps. Buy one and just mail to our local rep and just say this is a gift for you. Ralph, you're a gift to us. And thank you for all that you do for the kingdom. You're a gift to me personally and to the kingdom. Amen. Love you, brother. Love you. This is the Frank Sontag Show.